Thank you, Devin. Well, this morning I have a little bit of blast from the past. Not only do I have some people from a church in Banning, but also have some people, the Atkinsons, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bill Atkinson from the ministry I had in Torrance, California, when I was a young man doing youth ministry. And it's so good to, to have them worshiping with us. I have to admit, however, Bill's very, very honest. As he came in, he said, it's good to be here, but I want you to know you're, you're my second choice today. I, I was going to go hear John MacArthur a little bit further to drive, so I decided I'd slum it and just hear you this morning. But anyway, we're glad to have you. Uh, we're in the midst of a series, an elongated series, uh, beginning of the first of the year, where we're going to do a survey through the entire New Testament. And we've entitled that series, Questions Asked and Answered, because God's Word answers the most important questions in life. Now, the goal is to get through the entire New Testament in one year, which means uh, many of the books that we'll go through, we'll spend one Sunday doing. We spent a few weeks kind of giving an overview of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then we began our trek to the Gospels, and a few of those Gospels we did in one Sunday. And then we slowed down a little bit when we got to John and Acts, and then we've taken today five Sundays in Romans, and beginning next Lord's a day, Lord willing, we'll beginning to get a little faster again, and we'll start going through some of the books uh, an entire Sunday. Now, the goal of this series is for us to understand the truths of God's Word, particularly revealed in the New Testament. Sometimes we can get lost by seeing too much material, uh, and then sometimes we get lost by looking very narrowly at a, a verse or a word in Scripture. And so in this series, we're trying to get the bird's eye view or an elongated view of all that God has said, or at least the main themes uh, in the New Testament. And we'll do some reviews in the future so you kind of get up to speed if you've missed a few Sundays or, uh, Lord, I can't imagine this could happen. You forgot some of the things I've told you already. But anyway, uh, as we've gone through the book of Romans, the goal was to give you a handle on these, what's called the kind of the Magna Carta of the New Testament, the the pinnacle of God's revelation is it kind of takes all that that Jesus did recorded in the four Gospels and all it's said to the churches and and say, what, what are the cardinal truths of God's message? That really is true not only in the New Testament, also in the Old Testament. And really that's all about the gospel. Paul begins in chapter 1 with that passage, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Sometimes when I think about verses, I, I, I step back and say, Well, why did he say that? I mean, duh. Uh, who would have ever thought that Paul would have been ashamed of the gospel? But he probably said that because there were times maybe he was tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. Or there are other people he knew that were ashamed of the gospel that shouldn't have been ashamed of the gospel. So if you're ever tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, you need to answer yourself, well, what do I do if I am ashamed of the gospel? Well, Paul kind of answers that in the next phrase, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation. And really what he's saying is you don't have to be ashamed of the gospel because it works. It changes people's lives. Now, some people will choose not to believe it, but that does not deny the fact that it's true. You know, little children wonder if electricity is really true, and they put their finger in the socket and they find out it's true. <laughs> There's power in electricity. There's power in the gospel. So whenever Paul was tempted to be ashamed, he just remembered about the power of the gospel. But in case you wonder, well, is it, is it really powerful for everyone? He answers that question, doesn't he, in that verse? To everyone who believes. And so we never need to come to that point where we're presenting the message of Christ or we're praying for people within our relational world or or people we're concerned about and wondering, well, maybe there's an exception here. Maybe this person is so lost there's no way he can be found or she can be found. 
Well, the truth is, to everyone who believes, it's the power of the gospel to change them. And then even in that passage, we talked about to the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness from faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. And really that speaks of it in this way, is not only do you enter in by faith, but you continue on in faith. Well, this morning, Lord willing, I'm going to try to do two things. One is I'm going to look at the big ideas reviewed and then the big idea revealed. Now, as you know, in this particular elongated one Sunday survey that ended up being five Sundays, every, every major theme in here you want to revisit. Not that they are brand new, but there's so much substance to it. And so I want to somewhat quickly look at where we've been. As you look at the book of Romans, you can really summarize the entire 16 chapters with five words. And they all begin with letter S. Sin, salvation, sanctification, or spirituality, and sovereignty. And this morning we'll look at one other S word that really gives you a handle on this big book. It's a very important book. What I want to do today is I want to give some so what. So what about sin? So what about salvation? So what about sanctification? So what about uh, sovereignty? And then so what about service? Another thing I want to throw in for free as well. As you study the Bible, many ways you can help understand the Bible by looking at a key word or key words. One key word in the book of Romans that really kind of helps you understand the key truths is the word therefore. In fact, Paul kind of gets in on that word. He uses it 27 times in his letter to the church at Rome. Now, we're going to look at five, but each one of them relate to the S words that we've been talking about. Whenever you see the word therefore, you ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And we're going to try to see that this morning. Okay, quickly. What is the so what of the truths in Romans? First of all, sin. We'll look at Romans 3, 19 and 20. And I'll give you the, the key idea first, and then we'll look at the passage. The so what of sin is we are to see ourselves as guilty. Now, we're particularly talking about B.C., before we become a Christian, but it really has the underlying truth that even after you become a Christian, you recognize how much you've been rescued from. That before a holy God, you were guilty, and apart from the grace and mercy of God, you'd still be guilty before the court of heaven. Now, Paul puts it this way, Romans three nineteen and 20. We usually go to three twenty three, but look at these. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, in other words, whether it's the Mosaic Law, and those around the Mosaic Law knew what it was and had to wrestle with how it applied to their life, or whether it's your own personal law within your conscience, it speaks into your life. And then it says that every mouth may be stopped. Kind of saying, shut up. Are you, is this what you really mean? Yeah, this is what God really means. That you understand God's law in your life as the world may become guilty. The the law is an objective standard by which, and again, whether it's a Mosaic law or whether it's a law of your own standards, you don't measure up. And if you don't measure up to a a law, then you are guilty to that law. And, And then he goes on and says the conclusion, therefore, because you are guilty and you're guilty before God, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified or made righteous in his God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And all you have to do to, to convince someone that they've, they've done something wrong is to, is to give them a list of things that no one has ever been fulfilled. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever been um, 
mean-spirited? Have you ever said something about someone you wish you could have taken back? Whatever it might be, and you find them guilty as well as the larger sins as well. But we are great deceivers. We, We reconcile all kinds of behavior in the most unusual circumstances. Did you read about the story about Kizzy? Kizzy's the mom in Milwaukee on the river west side of Milwaukee in that area. Well, Kizzy was at home and her kids, at least two of them, I don't know how many children she has, they were out on a July 4th celebration. And she was watching a news program and all of a sudden she saw a slew of teenagers in a convenience store and they were looting the store. She continued watching. All of a sudden there were a couple people on the screen that she recognized. One was her 15-year-old son and one was her 13-year-old daughter. And she was horrified. She couldn't wait till they got home. And as a good mom would do, she asked, well, what did you do tonight? Oh, we were just out with friends, having a good time. Well, did you go to a convenience store? Well, um, we might have. Well, did you do anything that, well, we picked up a few things. Well, did you steal it? Did you pay for it? Oh, yeah, we paid for it. And they denied what she had seen on the television. Well, she pushed a little bit further. I don't know if she, saw, if she taped the program and showed it to her. But they came to the point where they had to admit what they had done. Now, that night, she had a dilemma. She went to sleep at night, and she was thinking, well, now, what am I supposed to do? I mean, I caught them. I'll give them punishment. But they t- stole something from that owner of that store. Well, the next day, she got up, and she told her two children that she was going to take them to the police department. And what really marked me in terms of reading about the story was her comment. She said, if I had allow them to get away with it. In fact, I really believe anybody who gets away with something, the likelihood is that they will do it, what? Again. The best day in our life is when we get caught doing something that's wrong. Because it's so easy to deceive ourselves that we're getting away with it. And people go through a lifetime thinking they're getting away with it with God. They don't need God because whatever way they look at life, their circumstances are, are, are well enough they don't need Him and they desperately need Him because they're guilty before a holy God. And Paul hammers that for chapters 1 through 3. And it truly is not the gospel, good news, unless you understand there's bad news, that we're sinners guilty before God. But he moves from sin to salvation. And the salvation, and I, and I made it not quite easy to read, but I wanted to insert a few words there. What's the so what about salvation? We are humbly by God's grace to believe. And I put the humble there, is that, is that in humility we need to recognize that we are desperately in need of God reaching down in an unmerited favor, giving us the opportunity to trust in Him what He has provided for us. Paul goes back in the Old Testament and he uses Abraham as an example. Romans 4, 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then we throw the therefore word in. Commenting a chapter later about what this all did. Therefore, seeing the example of Abraham who came to relationship with God by faith, trusting that what God had promised was true. Having been justified by faith, which simply means be declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, we need to recognize we have a problem, that's sin, but there's a solution, that's Jesus, the salvation that he offers that we must trust in. There was a Sunday school teacher that was trying to get this across to his students and was desperately trying to explain the gospel. In a lot of ways, we try to help people understand, here's a way to express the gospel as simple as the ABCs. Admit your need and turn from your sin to the Savior. B, believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for your sins and rose again. C, commit. Commit to follow Jesus, your Lord, God, and Savior. Well, he had presented the gospel in a variety of different ways through the the series of lessons on salvation. And finally, he came to the kids and said, okay, I want to ask you a couple questions. Number one, how many of you want to go to heaven? How many hands do you think went up? Every single one. And then finally, he said, what do you need to be to get to heaven? Of course, he knew what he wanted them to fill in that blank with. But finally, a little boy raised his hand and said, you need to be dead. (laughs) Well, if you wait that long to figure out whether you're ready for heaven, you've waited too long. And the reality is we need to set our reservation ahead. And we need to humbly trust in God, rely upon Him and not ourselves, that we don't measure up, that only He can make us ready for heaven. But Paul and God is not concerned about us simply getting a ticket to heaven. He wants us to live it out. And so he talks about sanctification, or if you want a less religious word, you can use the word spirituality. What does it mean to live the spiritual life? What does it mean to live for God now? Well, in Romans chapter 8, and it's so tempting as we do these big reviews to re-preach the messages. But the idea here is we are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and we've shared in the past that in many ways in churches like ours, the Spirit is the forgotten God. He's the one we don't talk about a lot about. We talk about the Father, talk about Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is, is that helper God has left us. And that's what Jesus promised. And, and we need to recognize that we are to be empowered by Him. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says this, there is therefore, there's that therefore word again, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Of course, that's a challenge for us to look at our lives. Am I a, a flesh-walking person? Am I just walking in human resources? Or do I have spiritual resources that is according to the Spirit of God living within me? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has, has made me free from the law of sin. And of death. And so the, the spiritual life can only be lived by the Spirit. We can only be sanctified, set apart for His use, unless we're committed to allowing the Spirit of God to control our lives and be filled with His fullness. Now, some of you are aware that last Sunday I was gone. Did anybody miss me? No. Uh, is that, and we didn't really announce it, but what I was, was I was at a scuba diving certification class. When I signed up for that a month and a half ago, they told me I didn't have to do it on Sunday. But, ha- but halfway through the class, they said, no, there's only one way you can get certified is to go on Sunday. So either I wasted all that money or I missed a Sunday. And though I desperately miss you every time I'm not here, I didn't want to waste my money, so I was gone last week. Uh, Brandon did a great job sharing the, the Word of God. But as I was there, it's interesting, as you go through the class of, of learning how to breathe underneath the water like a fish, you find this is, this is a different realm. You know, you just don't do that naturally. So they have you all have all these exams they take you through and then all these uh, classes and you you practice in a pool and then you practice, then you actually do it in the ocean. Well, one of the tests they have you do is they they want you to experience uh, what's going to be your experience potentially uh, as you journey off into the, the the oceans and seas, you know, in your future. 
And they want you to learn what, what it feels like when, when your air tank empties or something goes wrong with your air tank. So they, say, they always tell you what they're going to do before they do it to you. And then they say, okay, we want you to go underneath the water and we're going to turn off the air tank so you know what it feels like when there's no air coming out. And of course, then the idea is that so then you know what you need to do, which is go to your alternative air source, which is your buddy, and they have an alternative air source, which is called an octopus, uh, and or whether you need to make a split up the, up to the top of the <laughs> up to the surface. Well, as they were exper- expressing, I was thinking, wait a minute, you want me to experience underneath water the inability to take a breath? And I began to think about, it, raised my hand and said, uh, I don't feel the need to have that feeling. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to pass the course, so I experienced that. And they, when, they, when they turn that off, you, know, you take a suck of air in that regulator and, you, and there's nothing coming out. And, and then you've got to reach out for an alternative air source. And you desperately know that you need that. And what happens with us in our walk with God is we don't constantly have that desperation for an alternative source of strength in our life. And yet that's what we need to live in light of. That we desperately need the Spirit of God to live through us. And there, there are no more types of people in this world other than pastors who, who recognize so often you can just live on old spiritual experiences. But when you do that, you're not tapping into what should empower your life to live the life that He has called you to live. So we talked about spiritual breathing, exhaling the, the bad stuff in your life and inhaling the Spirit of God as we just have you know, a moment-by-moment experience of trusting and relying on the Spirit of God within you. So look at sin and salvation, spirituality or sanctification, and then we looked at sovereignty. And the sovereignty of God really has the idea, very simple, that we need to understand that we are to be dependent on God for everything. In Romans 9, 18, it says, Therefore... He has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. And that entire chapter really speaks about, hey, we're not in control, but God is. And then he ends that whole section in chapters 9 through 11 with this verse, Romans eleven thirty six: For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. And among other things, it simply says this. When, you, when, you, when we recognize that God can be dependent upon him, that we can put our trust in, even when life's not going right. Then we recognize, look at how did we get here? We got here because of Him. He is our source of life. As we're going through life right now, He's the one who sustains us. And even as we look into the future, in which sometimes we fear the future more than we dread the past, we need to recognize that our special destination is determined by Him. And so no matter what's going on, we need to live a life of trust and reliance upon God, even when... Life is so hard to understand. And if you just want to read those chapters again, 9 through 11, that's, those are a, that's a section which is so hard to understand, but the theme is simple. God's got it in his hands. Now, in light of all these things that we've already heard from Paul through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, what's the not only so what, but what's the now what? Well, that's the last S. And the last S is service. This is what God now wants us to do. You got 11 chapters of what's called doctrine, and now you got five chapters of duty. Now what God wants us to do in light of what he has done. 
We've now had the learning and now we have the living. It's like when you learn a scuba dive or any other skill. Okay, here, here it is in the classroom. Now you've got to put it out on the field. Or now you've got to do it in the water. Whenever we leave this place, this is the place of instruction, but really the, the living is done when we leave this place. And what he does now, he appeals to us to live out our faith. We're left here for a purpose and a reason, and that reason is to serve. We're here, first of all, to serve God, but then, then it broadens out and turns the avenues by which he wants to put our faith into action. But look at a very familiar verse. And before that, here's the point. We are to serve out we are to serve God out of joy and gratefulness. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, I urge you, I beg you, therefore, because of all that God has done, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, as you look at that passage, and you could have a month of sermons just on these two verses, and, and we're not going to do that this morning, but it really speaks about because of how good God is, now give your best. Don't look for God to give you more. You've give, been given everything that you need. Now give everything you have into his, into his service. Do everything you can to live out the faith that God has for you. And in case you get demotivated, and we all get demotivated, just remember the mercies and the goodness and the graces of God. And that's in the past, but if you're looking in the future, just remember this, that God's plan for your life is good, acceptable, and what's the third word there? What's the third word there? Do we need to start all over today? Okay, good, acceptable, and perfect. It's all right to talk in church if the pastor asks you to talk in church. The third word is perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone said, I've got a perfect plan for your life, I'd listen up. I, I'm always a sucker for those sales. This is the very best, new and improved, all those kind of things. This is the best that's ever been on the market. I always want to listen to it. Well, maybe there is something better than it was before. But we know those commercials probably aren't true, but God's commercial is. This is perfect for you. So we ought to be always motivated to, to be and to do what God wants us to be because all the mercies in the past and all the perfect plans for the future. Okay, that's up here now in the sky. Now, what does that mean now to live it out? Well, he wants us to give him his, our bodies, our mind, and our wills to him. And, and sometimes we can focus on our faith by really thinking lofty thoughts about God, and we should think lofty thoughts about God. And sometimes we kind of focus our, our wills a little bit on certain things, but he wants us to focus our minds and wills to activate our bodies to be in use for him. And where are those avenues? Where are those places God wants us to serve? Well, I want to summarize a few things real quickly in the, in the sections. We didn't really get to these in the first service but uh, in any depth. But let's look at this more. Where does God want us to serve? First of all, he wants us to serve in the church. Serve those in the church. Look at verses 4 through 8 in chapter 12. I'll get back to it. He writes, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. In other words, any church, uh, a church has to at least have two or three people in it. And as long as there's more than one, then we need to recognize if there's more than one, then everyone is different in that group. Because we're all made uniquely by him. 
And we're not all going to function the same way. Verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We're connected. Even though we're different because of the blood of Christ, we're all related. In case you didn't know that, we're all in the same family. doesn't matter where we came from, what our heritage is. If we are born into the family of God, we have a blood flowing through us of the blood of Christ, which makes us family. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Now, that's implied in the original language, but that is definitely the point here. God has given us each a, a gift. Really, the idea is there an ability, an ability uh, spirit-endowed by which we are to use for the sake of, of helping those around us, particularly when the church should be all that God wants us to be. None of us have all the gifts. None of us have, even, even if we have similar gifts, presented to us in the same way. And each one of us are needed to be all that God wants this individual church to be. Now, as you think about that, the challenge, however, is not asking God for more gifts. It's simply using the gifts he's already given us. I've always thought about this. Have you ever thought about what's the most expensive gift you've ever received? What's the most expensive gift you've ever received? First thing that came to my mind or, or given, you know, probably the most expensive gift I ever gave Alice was, was a diamond ring. Uh, and, and, and as I was thinking about that, what a special gift. But what, what, just, can you imagine... Uh, if I had given her a gift like a ring that she would never wear. But even this make it even more basic. The most expensive gift you've ever received, whether it be at birthday or Christmas or just some expression that someone gave you, is the gift that you never use. Because whatever money was spent on that, it was a total waste if it's never appreciated or, or brought into your life. And as we think about that, God died for the body of Christ. And he gave each of us abilities to be his representatives corporately. And when any of us don't use a gift that he has given us, then we waste what he has in great expense brought into our experience. He goes on and says they're different. He goes, and this is just a general list there's lists in a variety of other portions in Scripture, and this is not a sermon on spiritual gifts. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry or helping, let us use it in our helping. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts, encourages in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, those are kind of umbrella descriptions of what God gives his people the ability to do. But they manifest itself in a variety of different ways. And in some ways, we all do those things, but some do it more because they're, they have more of an ability in those areas to, to function. But basically what he's saying, if there is a need, God has given people within his church the ability to meet that need. And what we want to see our church as a church that understands all that God has done is that we are a serving people. Now, there are things that will limit us in what we can serve now, maybe in contrast to where we served before. I didn't ask her permission, but she'll give me forgiveness if she doesn't like it. But I was talking to Claudia this week, 
And, and she was sharing with me, and she, it was such a great experience. She was sharing, you know, I, I just, I don't feel like I'm doing enough for the Lord and for the church. And then she began to listen to things she was doing. You know, I pray for people all the time. I take the prayer sheet, and, and I, I just faithfully remember them, bring them to the Lord. I'll send cards out. I'll call people in need. I've recently volunteered and involved in the craft ministry, and I, I, I'm just learning that. I don't make a lot of things, but I, I delight to do whatever I can. And, and, and I, just, I just look for opportunities, but I feel bad I'm not doing enough. See, she, Claudia, is, she's gotten it. Saying, I, I might have some certain limitations, and you know, Claudia, she's in, she's in extreme pain most of the time that you'll see her. There's a variety of things that have happened. She's had a number of surgeries, and, and it's, a, it's a blessing that she comes because she's in pain every step she takes. But she said, I, I want to be used. I, I want, whatever I can do, I want to do. And that's where God begins with us. If you, if you can think of anything we ought to be doing more or better, then that's probably a call of God to say, hey, how can you volunteer and, and help in any way? I was reading a, I'm going to look at the time. I was reading a, a blog by a man, James Emery White, who's, uh, he was the president of Gordon Conwell Seminary. And he was talking about volunteers in his church. And he said, really, volunteers in your church could, ought to be called saints. Now, really, the biblical definition of saint is a person who, who knows Christ in a personal way. But he said, you know, a, a real saint, in terms of them living it out, is a, is a person who said, I, I'm, I'm set apart for God's service. And then they realize just what they do that helps others. And I, I want to read the list that he put together in describing some of the people in his church that are real saints. Saints, uh, watch your child so you can attend the worship service. Uh, saints, prepare a lesson and, and, op- and open up their home to serve you in a small group setting so you can experience community and support. Saints, produce for long hours, practice for long hours on an instrument or vocally on a song. Then brave stage fright in order to give you an experience of worship or a sense of the transcendent through the arts. Uh, saints are those who are willing to volunteer and, and practice regularly in a choir and, and then present a number uh, in terms of enhancing people's time with God. Saints are visiting you in the nursing home, the prison, the hospital, being present in your disease even with their own discomfort. Saints are pouring into the lives of your teenager when you may not feel you have the time or the ability the one thing I don't miss as being a youth pastor is the all-nighters. You know, they just had an all-nighter this last week, and I don't miss those at all. But, I mean, there, there are people who are really giving up their, their time to spend extended time with young people. Uh, saints are preparing programs so that you have things to understand what's going on next in the, in, the, in the life of the church. Saints are, and he concludes with this, well, just being saints. They're the ones who pray. They're the ones who give. They're the ones who look for certain people that other people maybe have forgotten and send them a card or, or call them or, or pray for them. They're the people who, are, who stay a little bit later to, to clean up the tables or to put things away. They're the ones who are reaching out into their neighborhoods. They're the ones who are teaching ESL, English as a Second Language. They're the ones who have worked in women's ministry. They're the ones who do a variety of different things. And some of you have, have been involved in ministries that you no longer can today, but there are certain things you still do. If God has left you here, he has left you here for a purpose. And your prayers and your presence are, is so important. Just showing up can be a blessing to other people. I was talking to Paul, who was one of our ushers. And 
We'll move on. C.S. Lewis. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. That's interesting. C.S. Lewis, as he looked at significant things that he had been um, vitally involved with, he said, you know, those things aren't going to last. Great institutions, great schools, great nations, great leaders in terms of their governmental position. But people remain. They have little time and many give so generously of what they have to be Christ and his kingdom. Those who work full-time jobs, juggling marriage and children, and giving themselves to the building up of God's church. Written by C.S. Lewis 50 years ago. And it still applies today. That God wants his people to serve. And it begins with serving in the church. But it doesn't end there. Uh, Let's look quickly at a few passages. And then we'll conclude this morning. As we look into what God, through Paul, gives some avenues by which we serve. The type of people or the type or the environments in which we can connect with those in need and, and can demonstrate the power of Christ in terms of reaching out to others. Look at uh, Romans 13, verses 1 and 7. And in this, we're going to see we need not only to serve in the church, but we're to serve those in authority. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Verse 7. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Whenever we're in a situation, we're always under that a situation in terms of people who are over us because of their authority or position. Do we know we serve Christ when we serve or help those who are in positions of leadership? And let me just say this. If you ever struggle with people who don't lead well, serve well, or particularly lead well, and there are many of us who don't lead as well as we should, uh, volunteer to be the leader. Most people don't want that responsibility. And so as we, whether it's in the government, whether it's in an association, a, uh, where you live, or whatever it might be, try to give honor and respect to those who are in positions of responsibility because they're there and you're not. And they're willing to give their time. So give them some honor and respect. So serving those in the church, serving those in authority. Look at uh, Romans 14. Romans 14. Here it gives the illustration of serving those who are weak. Uh, verse 1 says this. Receive, though, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Look at verse 12. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Now, again, Romans 14, this whole series could be years of sermons. But in Romans 14, he's really saying this. You know, people that you have a hard time connecting with, that maybe you don't agree with, that think differently about things than you do, just cut them some slack sometimes. Don't major on the things that are minor and serve them by willing to may restrict your freedom on behalf of them and demonstrate the love of Christ. So where should we serve? We ought to serve, obviously, first serve God by our heart and attitude with our, all that we are. But we serve in the church. We serve those in authority. We serve those who are weak. Uh, Romans 15, which continues on the idea of those who are the weaker brethren, but we also serve those who, in the, who are in the world. Look at Romans 15, verse 20 and 21. Paul writes, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ has 
than name, lest I should build on another's foundation. But as it is written, to whom it was, he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. When we reach out to our oikos, when we leave this place, we, we enter into the mission field. And we serve God when we are looking for people to share our faith with. And so it's an act of service, not just doing religious activity, but trying to bring our faith to others. Where are we to serve? We are to serve those in the church. We are to serve those who are in governing authorities or in authority. We are to serve those who are we. We are to serve those in our world who are in a lost world from him. And then finally, we are to serve those who serve. Look at Romans 16, uh, verse 1 and 2. I commend you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has needed you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. And really the idea here is that, is that when we see other people being faithful in what they do, we ought to encourage them. We ought to serve those who serve. Uh, one great specific concrete application this morning would, would be this week, you know, send a card or, or, or make a phone call or, or make a visit to someone and just say, hey, thank you for being an usher, for giving us food in between the services, for teaching a class, for opening up your home, for working with children, working with youth, whatever it might be. Just give them a word of thanks. We need to serve those who serve. Paul, who I, I, I see in my mind's eye, is just a raging uh, type A personality. He's always on the go, just moving ahead. And yet he ends his 16th chapter, his last chapter, just naming names. Not naming names to criticize, but naming names to encourage. So if we, if, if we see the role of service, part of it just serving those who serve, thanking them for what they do. So what's the point this morning? What's the, what's the final so what? The final so what is, uh, are we serving? Are we serving? Not, not under a guilt trip, but out of joy and gratefulness. Not by doing things we can't do, but doing the things we can do. By investing our lives in, in areas that need our help. And we can be a part of God's program to be all that God wants His people and His church to be. This is the pinnacle of of understanding all that God has done for us so that we might get involved in the program and giving what we can to extend his kingdom to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that, that your mercies endure forever. Father, we thank you that when we serve, we don't serve with an empty tank. And even though at times we feel empty, Father, we, we just didn't remember the promise of your word that said we are full. As Ephesians says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. As Colossians 2.3 say that we've been given all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As Colossians 2.10 says that, that we've been made complete in Christ. And, and as, as Peter says in his letters that we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. And John, as he writes in one of his little letters, he says that we, we have been taught all things through the Spirit who dwells within us. Father, help us to be a people that that have responded to your invitation to know you by opening up our hearts and lives to receive you as our Lord and Savior. And then the privilege of serving the Savior who has served us with everything that we need. Father, help us to be people open to what you want us to do for your sake and for your kingdom. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. As we conclude our worship this morning,